You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, Go ahead and subscribe, and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in, and be blessed. Amen. Well, I hope you're ready for it, because we're about to dive right into it. If you have your Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, let's pray real fast. Father, we thank you for, again, I thank you everyone for everyone that is here, Lord. I thank you for everyone that's tuned in today. Uh, Father, I thank you that no one came to receive from me, no one came to see me, we all came to receive from you. So, Lord, I thank you that this morning you will not disappoint. Lord, I thank you that you will give to everyone exactly what they need. Father, your word declares that the entrance of your word gives light. So, Father, for everyone who's here this morning would say, I need I need direction or I need light into this thing or light into this area. Father, I thank you that as the word goes forth, you will put it on their minds. You will write it on their hearts. Father, I thank you that you are giving dreams and visions to everyone in our church, everyone who's listening to this. Lord, everyone who's under the sound of my voice, you're giving dreams and visions to them that they might know exactly what you would want them to do, exactly the path and the direction that they should take. And Father, I thank you that not one blessing will be missed, not one ounce of favor will be uh, will be moved to the side. Father, I thank you that everything you have for your people, we are walking into it. 2021, we are walking into it. And as we are halfway through this year, Lord, I thank you that everyone who calls Center Church home is walking into exponential amounts of favor. And Lord, I thank you that as this message goes forth, as this message is going forth, even right now, Father, we thank you that every problem that we walked into this message with, we put it at your feet right now. And we thank you, Lord, that you are handling it. You are taking care of it. You are moving mountains for us. You are defeating giants for us. Our job is not to win. Our job is to be more than conquerors. And so we rest in the love that you have for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that as we sit at your feet and hear your word, you do everything else that needs to be done. So we thank you for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. All right, let's dive into it. Colossians chapter one. And I hope you enjoyed last week. We we're talking about submission, some other things. Oh, I almost forgot. Don't forget. The podcast is up and running again. We uploaded uh, a lot of new messages over the weekend. They're not all going to be unleashed at one time. We're going to try to you know, pace ourselves. Um, but again, we uploaded last week's message on the podcast favor with God and men. So if you want to hear that, you can always tap into the Center Church podcast. You say, well, Matthew, I don't know how to find it. It's in the description notes of today's message. So at the very top, it says, thanks for joining us this morning. All you have to do is click on that little link underneath it, centercharlotte.org forward slash messages. Or you can always check the emails. Every time you get an email from the church, I think generally on Wednesdays now, when you click on that email, there will be a link with a picture of the message from the week before. So always, you can Click on it from the Facebook page or from the email, or you can just type it in, centercharlotte.org forward slash messages and find the podcast. So, yeah, um, listen to the podcast, listen to the sermons anywhere and everywhere you are. There's that. So let's dive into it. Colossians chapter 1. Here we go. Pick up at verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now, watch this. If you look at the context and back up, Paul's saying, 
The moment we heard of your faith in Christ, from that moment forward, that's when we really started praying for you, and we never stopped. A lot of people say, well, I was praying for my family member to receive Christ, and now they receive Christ. Oh, praise God, amen, and they're done. No. Paul said, we prayed for you before, but when we found out you received Christ, and we found out the love you had in your heart for him, that's when we really kicked our prayers into gear. You know, I say this graciously. A lot of us pray like our prayers are the only thing that's going to make the difference. That's not the case. Our prayer does make the difference. Without prayer, we won't see any change. But let me say this. We have a high priest that takes our imperfect prayers and makes them perfect. And what Paul is saying is, look, we gave our prayers to our high priest. He perfected our prayers and brought you into the fold. Now that you're here, we're going to amp up our prayers even more. Because the attack against you will never be stronger before Christ than it will be after Christ. So let me say this. We are praying for you now more than we ever have before. But praise be to God, even when we don't know what to pray, or even when we pray the wrong things, we have a high priest that perfects our prayers concerning you. So anyways, let's keep going. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We've been talking about some of those things in the last couple of weeks. Before, we talked about vision, imagination. I won't get back into that, but let's keep going. Verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice he does not say so that you will be worthy of the Lord. He says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Jesus made you worthy. Paul's admonition to this church is not so that you will be worthy enough for the Lord. His admonition to them is this, that you may walk worthy. It's not between God and you anymore. Now, it's so that the world doesn't see your mistakes and failures and think, how can you be? How can you call yourself a Christian? He's saying, no. As far as God's concerned, all your sin was put on the body of his son at the cross. Jesus made you worthy. Of course, you're not worthy, but Jesus made you worthy. So now I want you to walk out as if you are worthy so that when the world sees you, they can see something better. It's not about God seeing you and say, oh, oh, Matthew's not worthy. Of course, Matthew's not worthy. He knows I'm not worthy. If I was worthy, there would be no need for the blood of Jesus. If you were worthy, there would be no need for the blood of Jesus. Today, we are not trying to live our life to be worthy of what God has done for us. No, we are living our life, walking our life, walking out our life in a worthy manner for the world's sake. Not for our sake, but for the world's sake. Jesus qualified us. Jesus qualified us. Anyways, let's keep going. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 11, strengthening with all might and according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. I love long-suffering. Every time I see that word, it just reminds me. God is long-suffering. I ain't figured it out yet. 33 years old. I haven't figured it out yet. But God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. I don't know how old you are, but let me say this. God is long-suffering. <laughs> all right. Verse 12. Now, we're going to, this, this is our crux. This is our, our, our focus. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified, who? One more time. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I love that verse. One more time. Here we go. Giving thanks to the Father, not me, not you. Giving thanks to who? The Father. Who has what us? Qualified us. And what has he qualified us for? To be partakers. Now watch this. Watch this. There is an amazing inheritance for all of us. But you know what? Only those who are heirs can receive it. 
Now, I know some of you think, well, I've been in church for a while. Word of faith. Matthew, I've been in this church for a while. I know where this is going. But I want you to hear this like you're hearing it for the first time. He's saying that God the Father, the Father, has qualified us to be partakers. There's this massive bowl in front of everyone. And everyone just gets a piece out. You take one piece out, and that one piece is the equivalent of the whole cake. So he's saying, look, everyone take one piece. Everyone take one piece. And when it comes to you, you're saying, well, look, I'm not an heir. I'm not qualified. I'm not a child. So because I'm not a child, I don't really get to draw from this. And the Lord is saying, no, no, no. The Father has qualified you. He's qualified you. To do what? Be a partaker. Someone who can take from this as well. In fact, let me use a different analogy. Let's say uh, a couple years ago, my grandparents died. My grandfather died and my grandmother. And when my grandparents died, they left an inheritance. We call it a will today or an inheritance. But they left an inheritance for their children and their children's children. In fact, Proverbs 13.22, if I'm not mistaken, Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, there's always that one believer that says, well, it's all spiritual blessings, spiritual inheritance. It's the inheritance of the Lord. I had the gift of seeing, so I passed that to my children's children. I, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we're talking about at all. Because the very next breath in that same verse says, and the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. The wealth of the wicked is not the spiritual giftings that the Lord gave them. It's not spiritual. It's physical. It's financial. So literally what he's talking about is this. A good man, a good person, a godly man, someone who God has blessed, will leave a financial inheritance, not just to their children, but to their children's children. The Lord wants to bless you in a way that is so much that is not, listen, listen, your children and your children's children will enjoy it. God wants your grandchildren to enjoy it. God's blessings are not just for you. God's blessings are generational. He wants to bless you so much that it becomes a multi-generational blessing. When God blessed Abraham, the Lord said this, in the first blessing, I'm going to make you a great nation. He's not even talking about Abraham anymore. He didn't say, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a great person and the end. No, I'm going to bless you and a nation is going to come from you, people, because God is thinking generationally. We tend to think about our situation right now, but God is thinking about the generations that come from you. Are you with me? He's thinking about your children's children's children. He's thinking about generations that come after you. All right. So whenever you're talking about the blessing of the Lord, whenever you're talking about favor, keep in mind when God gives favor, don't ask God for favor just for a moment. Thank God for favor that abounds. The other day I was at work and I was asking God, I said, Lord, I need favor here. I need favor in this area. I need favor here. And the Lord just reminded son, son, you're asking for favor in this moment. That's fine. That's good. But keep in mind, don't just ask for favor in this moment. Receive favor here in this area. Because when you increase in favor here, not just in this situation, but when you increase in favor here, it will have a generational impact. It will it will affect Parker's life and Parker's children. Oh, hallelujah. Anyways, let's keep going. So what does he say? Give me thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. So again, there is an inheritance and none of us are qualified. But the Father qualified us. He qualified us. Now, how did he do it? When he sent Jesus to the cross... Jesus was separated from God. In that moment, Jesus was the only begotten son of God, the only begotten son. But in that moment at the cross, God cut him off from the family and brought all of us into the fold. Now, today, Jesus is no longer the only begotten son of God. Now, he is the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus now has many brothers and sisters, and we are his brothers and sisters. If you have said, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Now, knowing that, listen, listen, knowing that, we now have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. 
that you've not been qualified for. You have an inheritance that has been given to you. You know, the beauty of an inheritance, let me say it this way. The only qualification you need is to be born into the family. Now, I know we've all heard that story of, of you know, a person who had an inheritance and they saw their children and they thought, you know, my child doesn't deserve it or this, this money is going to do more damage to their life. So I'm not going to give it to I'm going to give it to someone else. Let me say that. Let me say this. Listen, listen. That is not a good thing. Even in the Bible, that's considered to be an evil thing. To give the inheritance that one person deserves to someone else, it's not a good thing. And we all want to believe that we're doing the noble thing. We're giving to someone who's not in the family. It's a noble thing. But I think I can't remember what proverb it is. I should have looked it up. I can't remember what proverb it is. But there's a proverb that literally talks about that. It's not fitting to give the inheritance to the servant. It's not. It's just not. All right? It's a disgrace. But let me say this. You have an inheritance that even if, and I believe that the Lord isn't talking so much about us. I think he is, but he's talking more so about his inheritance. Even if you don't walk worthy of the inheritance, the only qualification is to be a son or daughter in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's it. Now, we have an inheritance. Look at this in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Where are we? Romans chapter 4. Let's do it. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Now, Romans chapter 4, let's talk about how to get the inheritance. Okay? And I'm, I'm coming to a point here. So I want you all to see this. This is To me, this is important. Okay? Now, watch this. Romans chapter 4, look at verse 13. Paul says, for the promise that Abraham would be the heir of the world. Now, watch this. The promise that Abraham would inherit the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, one more time. The promise that he would be heir of the world was not given to him through the law. The law wasn't even given until about 250 years later, about 200 years later. So the promise that he would be heir of the world was not given to him through the law. How was it given to him? Through the righteousness of faith. As long as you are trying to be good enough for God to bless you, you're still trying to inherit something through the law. But the promise that God gave Abraham that he would inherit the world, his inheritance, was not given to him through what he did. It was given to him through the constant reminder, you are right with God even though you don't act like it. You are right with God in spite of you. You are right with God even though you just failed. You are right with God even though you just cussed that person out in the other car. You are right with God even though you just... You know, you just lost your temper at work. You are right with God, even though you just did something you knew you were not supposed to do. You are right with God, not because you do right things, but because you have believed the right thing. You have believed the truth because the righteousness of faith is not what you do. It is what you believe. Hence the word faith. So because he was righteous by faith, let me say this. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at verse 14. He says, for or because, if those who are of the law, of their works, of their doing, if they are heirs, if they are people who inherit, let me say this, then faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Do you want to know what kills faith? You want know to kills people's faith? Is when they try to earn what God has for them. When you listen to messages about what you're doing, what you're not doing, when you're, when you're, when you're constantly hearing, what you're not doing, what you did wrong. Let's let's talk about what, where you messed up. Don't get me wrong. There's a place in the New Testament 
where the Lord says this, remember from where you fell. There's a place where the Lord says, remember from where you fell. And there's a wisdom that comes in from knowing how did I fall? How did I make this mistake so that I can avoid it in the future? There's a wisdom to that. But then there's another voice that says, let's look at where you fell and let's let's focus on your failure. Let's talk about you. Let's look at you. Let's talk about Matthew. Let's talk about how he got here. Let's talk about why he's not enough. Let's talk about what he hasn't done and what he is doing. Let's talk about Matthew. When the moment our eyes are on ourselves, let me say this. You are back under the law and you are avoiding out any faith that would help you. As long as you're looking to yourself. Faith is present. Faith wants to help you. Faith wants to be uh, one of the pictures I had in my head last night. Faith is like the window. The window exists to let the sun shine into the house. That's the point. And we have thousands and thousands and thousands of messages on faith. Let me say this. I'll give that in just a moment. But faith is just the window to let the sunlight into the house. Now notice real quick. How did he become an heir? How did he receive the sunlight? By the window. He didn't try to break the wall down and, you know, bask in the sunlight. No, it's not what he did. It's where he, what is what he believed. It's what he believed. Now, I want you to understand this because this is so cool. Look at verse 15. He says, because the law brings about wrath or anger for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Praise be to God. In Colossians, he says he has removed the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That stood opposed to us. In the very next breath, disarming principalities and powers. The moment Jesus died on the cross, God nailed the handwritten code that was against us, that was opposed to us. God nailed the handwritten code. God nailed the law. God nailed the Ten Commandments. And you see, there's people who are still fighting for it. Let me say this. We cannot destroy God's law. We can't move God's law. We can't even touch God's law. But God can. And God took the Ten Commandments and God nailed it to the cross of His Son. And when God nailed it to the cross, it canceled it out concerning us. And in that moment, he disarmed principalities and powers. How? By nailing the only thing they could use against us to the cross of his son, Jesus. Now, the devil has nothing else he can use against us. He has nothing else he can use against us. And watch this. And now, because there is no law, there is no wrath. Look here. There's no anger from God anymore. How can I be angry against you when the only thing that gave me right to be angry has been nailed to the cross of my son? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Now watch this. Verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith. One more time. Therefore, it is not of the law. It's not of our works. Therefore, it is of faith that it may be according to grace. I was listening to a, a minister the other day. They were talking about faith, 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 faith. Um, and I had this moment where it was like, wow, you know, great, great message. Good message. Faith, 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 faith. Whole message was about faith. And I preach messages on faith myself. But let me say this. When the focus becomes on faith, we miss the point. The point was not to focus on faith. See, the thing is, when we focus on faith, we actually end up talking ourselves out of having faith. Faith becomes a formula. Well, you don't have enough faith because you did Faith is not the end goal. I'm saying this graciously. Please hear me out. Faith is not the end goal. What's the end goal? Look at this verse, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith. See, Matthew, faith is the end. No, 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 no. It's a faith. Why? That it might be according to grace. Grace is the end goal. The sunlight is the reason we need the window. (laughs) The sunlight is the reason we need the window. 
the sunlight is the reason why we need faith. Faith is the window. Grace is the sunlight. Grace is the point. We need the grace, but we can't get to grace by working and trying and working and trying because the law voids out faith. The more we try, the more we cover the window with more blinds and more uh, more curtains. We stop the sunlight from coming in. But the less we try and the more we believe, which is faith, we make the window bigger and the sunlight comes through. So what's the point? Grace is the end game. Grace is the end game, not faith. The more you focus on faith, the more you will miss the point. People spend messages and series and sermons and time talking about the window, and the window is good. We need to talk about faith. I'm not saying we don't. But if we focus more on faith than we focus on grace, you have missed the point. The point is to get to the grace, to get grace into us. It is by faith that it might be according to grace. Grace is the point. Grace is the goal. Grace is the end game. Grace is where we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be growing in grace, not trying to grow more in faith. I said it carefully. Our faith will increase. (laughs) Our faith will increase. Our faith will increase. One time they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teacher, show us how to have more faith. You know what he said? He picked up a a mustard. He said, look, look, you see this mustard seed? The smallest of all seeds. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think, oh, my God. All I need is faith as small as a mustard seed, and I can speak to a mountain and it will be moved. And I used to wonder, how do I get that much faith? My faith must be, you know, on a molecular level, smaller than a mustard seed, that I can, you know, that I can't even get enough faith to have a mustard seed. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. When When he said, look at a mustard seed, look at a mustard seed. What he was saying was, this is the smallest of all seeds. Faith is the smallest of all seeds. If you just have the smallest faith that exists, the smallest amount of faith that exists, you can speak to a mountain. You don't have to have a lot of faith. You don't have to reach that faith. Let me say this. The mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Therefore, all you have to do is believe that I'm the son of God. Boom, you're done. You're done. You're done. Speak to the mountain and it will move. You understand? He's not saying you don't have enough faith because look at the mustard seed. He's saying the mustard seed is the smallest of all things. Therefore, all you have to do is believe on the son. If you have that basic, simple faith, you've done all that needs to be done. But what about my pastor said two weeks ago, and and this great man of God preached this amazing series, and it made me tingle and feel warm and juicy on the inside. And I thought, oh, Lord God, I need to learn more about that. Let me say this. We have made faith a formula, and we missed the point. We missed the point. Because we focused on faith, we missed that it's by faith according to grace. Grace is the point. Grace is the goal. Grace is the point. Grace is the focus. Focus on the sunlight and you will make, let me say this, the more you bask in the sunlight, you will want the window to be bigger. (laughs) The more you see the sunlight causes the plant to come alive. The more you see the grace causes your life to become more fruitful and more bound. The more you see the grace of God working in your life, let me tell you something. You won't have to have anyone tell you to have faith. Faith will be the byproduct of his grace. The Roman centurion saw Jesus's grace. Jesus turned around and saw his faith. He said, I know, I know you're like me. When you speak, it happens. And Jesus turned around and said, I haven't seen anyone with faith like this in all of Israel. But the Roman centurion never said anything about faith. He didn't have to. He saw his grace. He saw Jesus's grace. Jesus saw his faith. Focus on his grace. He will see your faith. The woman who was a Syrophoenician, another Gentile woman, a Gentile woman, another Gentile person, 
came to Jesus. My daughter's being tormented. And Jesus says, not fitting to give the children's bread to the, to the puppies in the Greek, to the little puppies. And she said, yeah, but even the puppies eat the crumbs from the master's table. And you know, she owned up to the fact, okay, you know what? Son of David, son of David. Jesus said, look, you're not a Jew. Don't use that term. It's not fitting to give the children's bread to the puppies. You're not a Jew. You are what the Jews call a dog, but I'll call you a puppy instead. And she said, fine, call me a puppy. Fine. I'm not a Jew. You got me. I'm not a Jew. But even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the children's, from the, from the table. And Jesus said, wow, you owned up to who you are. Go home. Your daughter's healed. You came to me because you knew I could do it. That's all I needed from you. That's all I needed from you. I didn't need you to come. I, I didn't need you to come and pretend to be something so you could qualify yourself. I need you to come and be yourself and know that I could do it. That's all I need from you. Just come to me and know I can do it. Come to me and know I can do it. Focus on my grace. Don't focus on your faith. Focus on my grace. What you need will be there. What you need will be there. He told her, go home right now. Your daughter is healed even right now. Are you with me? Oh, man, there's so much I want to share. And I wish we were face to face. But I want you to see verse, verse 16 one more time. He says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. Why? So that the promise might be sure. So that the promise of what? Uh, the inheritance might be sure. The only way to be sure you're going to get your inheritance is if it's by grace. But notice, the more you focus on what you're doing and what you're not doing, you're never going to get it. It's the Father who qualified you. It's the Father who qualified you. It's the Father who said, I'm going to put you in a place to receive it. It's the Father who did it. It's the Son who died. It's the Holy Spirit who now is the seal and the guarantee of the promise that's coming to you. It has nothing to do with us. Our job is not to, well, I have to believe and I have to believe. No, no, no. Even that, let me say this. Our job is just to focus on the Son. Look at the Son. Focus on His grace. See Jesus. See Jesus. See Jesus. Just keep seeing Jesus. That's it. You focus on His grace. He'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. Look to Jesus. He'll take care of the rest. Now, we have an awesome story of this happening when Jesus walked on water. When Jesus walked on water, the Bible says that there was a storm that came on the on the um, Sea of Galilee. And the disciples, Jesus had gone up on a, um, on a cliff, on a mountain. And he told his disciples, I want you to go to the other side. And when you go to Israel, you'll see this place. They told him, go to the other side. So they got in a boat. They were going to the other side. And while they're going to the other side, Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. So he's praying. And the Bible says when he finished praying, he looked out over the Sea of Galilee. And he sees a storm. He sees the boat. And he realizes they're not making any progress. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And they have not gotten to their destination. So Jesus decides to go out to them. So he walks down this mountain. And then he crosses over the Sea of Galilee. No boat. He just walks on the water. Now watch this. Watch this. The Bible says that when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they saw that he would have passed by them. They thought it was a ghost. Peter screams out, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. They said, look, it's a ghost. And Jesus hears them say, it's a ghost. So John says, don't be afraid. It's just me. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. Jesus says, Peter, I'm sorry, not Peter. He just says, come. One word, come. Meaning anyone could have gotten out the boat. So Peter gets out the boat, starts walking on the water and comes to him on the water like Jesus. As he sees Jesus, he becomes. As he sees Jesus, he becomes. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. As we behold him, we are transformed into the same image. So Peter sees Jesus walking. Let me say this. At work, what do you see Jesus doing? Hmm? At work, what do you see Jesus doing? At home, what do you see Jesus doing? 
I'm, I'm asking you this on purpose because look, what you see Jesus doing is what you will become yourself. If you don't see Jesus doing anything, then you will not become anything. The life of the believer is not wrapped up in what we do. It's wrapped up in what we see. What do you see Jesus doing? Do you see Jesus? Let me say this. Do you see Jesus helming your business? Do you see Jesus running your business and being successful? Because if you see Jesus in charge of your company being successful, what will that make your business? Hmm. You say, well, Matthew, right now the market is not good for this type of business. It's just not good. There's so many people in this in this business, so many people in this, this area of work, blah, blah, blah. It's just not a good time right now. You know what? It wasn't a good time to walk on water either. The wind was boisterous. <laughs> the waves were roaring. The disciples weren't making it to the other side. It wasn't a good time to walk on water. I'm sorry. It wasn't a good time to practice walking on water. If I'm going to practice walking on water, let me do it on a pool where the sun is shining. There's no clouds in the sky. And yet, let me say this. Listen, listen, listen. It was not a good time to practice walking on water. And yet, he did it. There's no excuse. Our job, listen, the life of the believer is not wrapped up in what we do or what we don't do. It's wrapped up in what we see. How do you see Jesus right now? How do you see him? Are you focused on the fact, listen, when problems happen, are you focused on the fact that this temporary situation is so bad and if I don't, if I don't, I won't, it can't, and it's, are you focusing on that? Are you focusing on the fact that Jesus is walking above this right now? And let me say this, as Jesus is, so will you become. As Jesus is, so will you. I mean, let me rephrase that. As Jesus is, so are you. As you perceive Jesus to be, so will you be. Too many of us see Jesus in the boat with us and, oh my God, you know, rocking on the boat. We're not going to make it. And so that's because that's the Jesus that they see. That's that's what they become. Terrified, afraid, not sure what's going to happen. But then there's some of us at Center Church who know that he is gracious and know that he walks above the storm. And we, we, we might have a moment where we freak out and panic, but then we stop and we're reminded, no, 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 he's above the storm. He is above the storm. He's above my supervisor. He is above my manager. He's above my boss. Let me say this. Jesus is above the CEO of this company, and he walks on the water. As he is, so am I in this world. As he is, so am I in this world. If you get this sickness or if you get this disease, let me say this. As he is, so am I in this world. As Jesus is, so am I. As I see him, as I see him, so I become. Are you with me? As I see him, so I become. You say, well, I've done this and I did everything I was supposed to do. I don't know what else to do. Good. Don't do anything else. See Jesus. You did your part. You put the seed in the ground. That's all you did. That's all you have to do. Put the seed in the ground. His promise is he will bless what you put your hands to. Did you put your hands on it? Yes, Matthew, I did. Good. Then see him. See him sowing it. I know I'm sowing it, but he is inside me. He's inside you. See him doing it. See him doing it. And as you see him doing it, so he does. So he becomes. And so you become. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, the life of the believer is not what we do. It's what we see. It's what we see. Peter saw Jesus walking. He walked. And you know what the Bible says? It says that when he saw the wind boisterous and the waves, when he saw the wind and waves boisterous, when he saw the wind violent and he saw the waves roaring and crashing and moving everywhere, then he looked down and saw his feet were starting to sink. (laughs) Let me say this. What does the wind and the waves have to do with him walking on water? Absolutely nothing. 
If there was no wind and there was no waves, can he walk on water? Absolutely not. And yet, because he looked at the things that had nothing to do with his real position in Christ. Well, he wasn't really in Christ. He's looking at things that had nothing to do with his position in that moment with Christ. It caused him to sink. What does that tell me? If I'm focusing on the things that really, look, let me say this. When God's word says you have favor, if I focus on the things that say I don't have favor, I will start to sink. If I focus on, the, let me say this, if God's word says that by his stripes I was healed and I focus on what the doctor said about me, I will start to sink. Let me say this, I'm the father of a five-year-old son. I'm the high priest of my house. As the man, as the, as the, as the, as the father of that, I am the high priest. And as the high priest, as the high priest goes, so goes the rest of the house. I don't care what the world says about my son. Let me say this. Let me say this. I keep my eyes on Jesus. And I'm not saying, oh, praise Matthew, you should want to be like me. No, no. I, I look at myself a lot. But by the grace of God, I'm learning more and more every day. Son, you have to keep your eyes on him. You have to keep your eyes on him. I don't care what the teacher says. I don't care what this person says. I don't care what they No, no. All these people are here to help me. But let me say this. Most important, what's most important is that I keep my eyes on him. Because if the doctor says, well, you know, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this is the situation. And I take my eyes off what he did for one moment. Take my eyes off what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did for my son in that moment. Let me say this. What he did for me is so much more important and so much more powerful than what the, what the world can say about my son. What the world can say about my house. What Jesus did is more important than what anyone can say or do concerning my house. Concerning my life, concerning my world, what Jesus did is more powerful than that. What Jesus was doing with Peter was so much more powerful than the wind and the waves. We know it because Peter was walking on the water. And yet he looked at something that had nothing to do with him walking on water and he started to sink. I've heard people preach, well, he was afraid. He stepped into fear. If you want to call it fear, call it fear. But let me say this. Fear does not disqualify you from, from, from the inheritance. You know that Joshua, I believe this. I believe that Joshua was afraid. When Moses died in Joshua chapter 1, I believe Joshua was afraid. I do. How do you feel in Moses' shoes? I mean, come on. Moses was there and called down the 10 plagues from heaven. I know Aaron was his brother and Aaron, blah, blah, blah. But Moses was the one. God told Moses, they're going to see you as they see me. You're going to be like God to them. And Aaron's going to be like you to me. He's going to be like your mouthpiece, like your prophet. That's how how I'm sending you, Moses. So when they saw Moses, keep on, they didn't see a man. They saw him as if he was like God. How do you feel in that man's shoes? I mean, God used him to split the Red Sea. How do you do that? God used him to hit the rock water flows. God used him to go up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and receive the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says that everyone was terrified, shaking in their boots. They heard the voice of God like thunder and lightning, and they freaked. And they said, Moses, we do not want to go near. You go near. We vote you. <laughs> and Moses went onto the mountain, came down, and he was glowing. You know, how do you feel this man's shoes? And yet, when he died, God calls Joshua and he says, Joshua, he brings him close to Joshua. Now it's, it's your turn. And listen, in Joshua chapter one, he says this. He never says, don't be afraid. He says, be courageous. Interesting choice of words there. You know that courage, you know that being courageous, courage, courage is having fear and yet still doing it. Being afraid and yet still doing it. And the Lord tells him, I think almost four times, I, I could be wrong, this four times he says this, be courageous. Have courage, have courage, have courage, have courage. Why? I know you're afraid. I know you're shaking in your boots. I know you don't feel like you're going to be good enough, but just do it. Just go. 
I'll be with you like I was with Moses. Just go. It's okay. Jesus died for all our sin, even the sin of being afraid, even the sin of having fear. He died for all, all of it. And let me say this, knowing that, have courage, move forward, keep moving, keep moving. Well, Matthew, if I move forward, I can't see the next step. doesn't matter. Just keep moving. Just move. Just move. God told Abraham, he said, Abraham, go. I'm going to give you this place. Lord, where do I go? I'm not telling you. Just walk. Which way do I walk? Just walk. You're going to find that I'm ordering your steps. But Lord, you didn't tell me to turn left. You didn't tell me to turn right. I know. I just told you to walk. I just told you to walk. Well, I put this in here and nothing happened. I didn't hear anything. Just walk. Just keep going. Just keep going. And as you go, you're going to find your steps were ordered the whole time. Just keep going. There's so many connections I want to make with Joseph. I'm not for the sake of time. But let me get back to Peter. Again, Peter saw the wind. He saw the waves. Wind and waves have nothing to do with what God wants you to do right now. Have nothing to do with that. The voice of all the people around has nothing to do with that. You are walking on water. You know what? Because you see Jesus walking on it. You see Jesus successful? Yeah. Then let me say this. When the market is bad, you're successful. When there's so many people doing this right now, it's hard to get your foot in the door because everyone else, let me say this. You're not like everyone else. Center church, listen to me. You are not like everyone else. You are not like everyone else. If Jesus walks into a room full of people who are experts that have been doing for 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 years, let me say this. When Jesus walks in the room, all the favors get sucked out the room and go straight to him. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. I don't care if you're a new business in a very prominent market. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. Let me close with this. Look at this in Genesis chapter 35. Let me show you a story of what happened to a person who was not, well, no, no, I won't say that. <laughs> I said they weren't courageous. So I'm going to make an analogy. I'm going to make a connection here. All right. Make a connection. Look at this in Genesis 35. <laughs> Genesis 35. Now, <laughs> if you're taking down notes, in your notes, write Genesis chapter 49. I think it's like verse 2 to verse 4 and 5. At the end of Jacob's life, his name has been changed to Israel, so I'll kind of refer to him as Jacob or Israel, switch back and forth. Anyways, at the end of his life, it comes time for him to give the blessing. <clears throat> and then we've talked about the blessing before. If you missed that, go back. That was an awesome series. I enjoyed that. I still do it to this day. Love it. It's phenomenal. The blessings of the Lord. Anyways, go back. <clears throat> Anyways, the time comes for Jacob to bless his sons. He knows he's coming to the end of his life. <clears throat> his name has been changed to Israel. And in Genesis 49, he starts to give the blessing to each of his sons. He calls all the 12 sons to him. And he says, all right, I'm going to bless you now. But when it comes to Joseph, Joseph brings his, his boys to him as well. But anyways, he's going to bless the sons, and he starts from the firstborn. Now, if you know who the firstborn of Jacob or the firstborn of Israel is, it was Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn. And Reuben was born from Leah. If you remember Jacob, when he worked for his uncle Laban, for seven years he wanted to marry Rachel, but Laban tricked him, and he made Jacob marry Leah first. The Bible says her face was veiled the entire ceremony. When he wakes up the next morning, he realizes after the marriage has been consummated and the child has already been put in her, he realizes, wait a second, this is not Rachel, this is Leah. So now, when we get married, they say, you may now kiss the bride. The bride removes the veil at the ceremony. <laughs> Anyways, he doesn't know that it's not Rachel, it's Leah. And he gets her pregnant, and she becomes the mother of the firstborn child, the woman who he did not want to marry. 
Now Leah gives birth to a son and she calls him Reuben, the firstborn, because when she when she gives birth to him, she knows that he doesn't love her. She knows that he loves her younger sister. But when she gives birth to Reuben, she says, behold, a son. She's excited. The first child she gives birth to is not a daughter. It's a son. So she gets excited. Not only was she married first, not only was she, you know, first in line, quote unquote, uh, but she's also the, the, the woman that he doesn't love. But she gave birth to a son. And giving birth to a son is the best thing that she can do to him in that culture. The best thing she can do for him. So because she gave him a son, she's excited. Now, listen, my husband will love me because I gave him a son before my younger sister, Rachel. So she says, behold, the son, or look, the son. Another way of looking at it is see the son. See the son. So she calls him Reuben. Reuben, literally. Reuben, Ben, means son. The word, that uh, that first, uh, not suffix, but I can't remember what it is. Anyways, that first prefix is see. That Ru speaks of see. Ben means son. Reuben, see the son. Okay? See the son. Now, fast forward, Genesis chapter 49, he brings all the sons to him. And he starts from the firstborn and starts going down the list to the younger. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is this. The firstborn always receives a double portion inheritance. Double portion. Doesn't matter. He's got 12 sons. Doesn't matter. Reuben still gets twice as much as everyone else because he's the firstborn. But when the time comes for him to give the blessing of the firstborn to Reuben, Instead of blessing him, he says some pretty harsh words. In fact, put your finger in Genesis chapter 35. I'm going to read this to you because I want you to see this. In Genesis chapter 49, he says this in verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn. You should receive the first, you should receive the firstborn inheritance, the double portion. But watch this. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellence of dignity and the excellency of power. Yeah, sounds great, right? Keep reading. Unstable as water, you shall not excel. Wow, what a blessing, right? Because you went up to your father's bed. Watch this. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now watch this. He's talking to Reuben. He says, you are the excellency of dignity. You are the excellency of power. You are my firstborn, the might and the beginning of my strength. But you are unstable as water and you will not excel. He's supposed to be blessing Reuben, and he says this, but you will not excel. Then he says this, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. Then he stops for a second and looks at everyone else. He says, he went up to my couch. On to the next. Then he calls uh, Simeon and Levi together, and he starts to bless them. Now, let me say this. The blessing of the firstborn is not supposed to go like this at all, at all. We saw that in our blessing series. It's supposed to go something like, may the dew of heaven bless you. May God give you the abundance and the fatness of the earth. May your brothers serve you. May this, may that, may, you know, may kingdoms and kings and, you know, the blessing of the first one. That's not what he did. He didn't get that. He says, you went up to my couch and you defiled it. You went up to my bed and you defiled it. You're unstable as water. You're as unstable as water and you will not excel. That's the blessing his father gives him at the very end. Now, knowing that, knowing that, What did Reuben do? And I believe we're going to move the veil back this morning. We're going to remove the veil in Christ. Let's remove the veil. And we're going to see something interesting here. Look at this in Genesis chapter 35. How did Reuben defile his father's bed? Look at this in verse 21. It says, then Israel, or Jacob, then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent, I'm sorry, and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Verse 22, and it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard about it. Now, stop for a moment. Who is Bilhah? And all this is important. I'm going to close with this. Who is Bilhah? When Israel or Jacob married Leah, she gave birth to about three or four sons, I think. 
Anyways, when she gives birth to the sons, she realizes that Jacob doesn't want her anymore. So she gives her his, her concubine. She gives her her servant. She gives, not her, she gives Israel or Jacob her servant named Bilhah. Now, Bilhah is not his wife. But because Leah, his wife, gives the servant to her husband, she becomes a concubine because she gives birth to a son as well. Now, because she becomes Israel's concubine, she now belongs to Israel. Fast forward about 20, 30 years, Reuben is now a grown man. He is the firstborn of all the 12 sons. And he looks at Bilhah, his, technically like his stepmother, but you know, he sees her and knows she belongs to his father. And he becomes attracted to her. So when the time comes, opportunity presents itself, he sleeps with Bilhah. And Israel heard about it. Now watch this. Why is this all important? What's that have to do with seeing the sun? Grace. What's that have to do with this? Reuben's name means see the sun. Bilhah's name means fear or trouble. Fear or trouble. Now, I went and tried to actually I was looking up the name of Bilhah a while back. And a couple of dictionaries don't say that. They say other things. But if you look at the root of Bilhah, literally, I like Bible Hub. It breaks down the Hebrew letters. So you can break it down that way and see what it means. But anyways, the root of Bilhah, Balha, literally, Balha, not Bilha, but Balha, literally means to be troubled. Therefore, the name Bilha literally means trouble or fear. Trouble or fear. Now watch this. Reuben was supposed to fulfill his name. See the sun. Do you know that if Reuben had received the blessing of the firstborn, Reuben would have received a double portion? You know, today we call the Jewish people, we call them Jews because Judah, after out of this blessing in Genesis 49, out of this blessing, Judah, the Bible says, your brothers shall praise you instead of Simeon, Levi, and Reuben. Your brothers will praise you. And he gives him the blessing of the firstborn. And then Jesus becomes a descendant from Judah. But by default, Reuben should have been the one. Reuben was supposed to be the firstborn. The, the Jewish people should have been named after Reuben because he was the firstborn. But because of his failure here, he disqualified himself. Now watch this. Watch this. Reuben, see the sun. He should have saw the sun. Peter was looking at the sun when he walked on water. He should have saw the sun. But instead he slept with Bilhah. He slept with who? Fear or trouble? Because he slept with fear and trouble, what did he do? It cost him his inheritance. You understand? It cost him his inheritance. Now, I'm telling you this because I want you to understand something. Look, <clears throat> I want you to understand something. I'm not saying that if you step into fear, you won't have your inheritance anymore. No. What do we What do we start with? What do we open with? God has qualified you to receive your inheritance. You've been qualified. And then we're talking about how do you receive it? By grace. It's by grace. It's by grace. Focus on his grace. The inheritance will come. Focus on his grace. The inheritance will come. Focus on his goodness concerning you and his the inheritance will manifest, right? But what do we see right here? As long when, when he slept with fear, he compromised his inheritance. I'm telling you this. Look, look. When you focus on the wind, when you focus on the waves, when you focus on the things that make you afraid, it will feel like your inheritance is stopped up. Some of us feel like, well, you know, Matthew, you say I have an inheritance, but my life hasn't really felt like I'm enjoying the inheritance. Matthew, you say I have an inheritance, but I haven't really been enjoying, you know, what Jesus paid for me to have. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not seeing it manifest. But let me ask you this. Are you wallowing in fear? Are you surrounding yourself with people who talk about things that make you afraid? I mean, I'm, and I, look, most people don't well, I watch scary movies. I'm not talking about scary things. I'm talking about the things that are happening in your life. I'm talking about the problems that are surrounding you. Are you focusing on those things? He slept with fear. 
instead of seeing the son and fulfilling his name, he slept with fear. And because he slept with fear, it compromised his inheritance. And it didn't just affect him, it affected the generations to come. The Jewish people were supposed to be named after Reuben, but instead they're named after Judah. Why? Because, look, Judah didn't fail where Reuben failed. You understand? When you sleep with fear, it will feel like your inheritance is being stopped. Let me close with this. In Proverbs chapter 24, Proverbs 22, 24, I'm going to read it to you from the NIV. I'm going to read it to you from the NIV. The NIV says it this way. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Why? Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Now, this is from the NIV translation. I like that translation because it really pulls out the Hebrew in this. One more time. He says this, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person or do not associate with someone who is easily angered. Do you know someone who just gets angry on the dime, who gets angry about things? You're like, you should be angry about that. What are you angry for? This is supposed to happen. Or these things happen. You know, do you know someone but they just get angry really quick? Let me say it this way. Do you know someone who focuses on negative things more than they do on positive things? Well, Matthew, they're my friend, and I've known them for all these years. Well, 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 let me say this. The Bible does not say the wisdom of God, right here in, in Proverbs, does not say, be careful around a hot-tempered person. Be careful around someone who is easily angered so that you don't learn their ways. No, he doesn't say be careful. He says don't even associate with them. Listen, there is no way to be careful around them. Why? Because that verse literally says this. You may learn their ways. And listen, that type of mentality is a trap. It's trapping them. And if you receive that mentality as well, it will trap you as well. Don't hang out with people like that. Don't spend time with people who get angry quickly. Don't spend time with people who focus on the negative. Let me say this. Don't spend time with people who, when you tell them what you're afraid of happening, help you in that fear. Cultivate that fear. Well, you better be careful because you don't want that to happen either. And if you do this, you want that to happen. You ever told someone a new idea and they immediately find every negative possibility? And it's like, oh, my God. Are you serious? It's a new idea. I don't know. I just just a thought. And they, every negative possible outcome. Every negative thing you can think of. And this is like, Jesus. No. <laughs> Surround yourself with people who are going to push you out the boat in the storm. Surround yourself. You say, well, I don't have people like that in my life. Then maybe you should stop hanging out with the people you do have. I'm serious. We were not meant to do life alone. But but look, God forbid, I would rather be alone than do what Solomon is saying right here and surround myself with people who have a negative mentality. Surround myself with people who are going to talk about the wind, who are going to talk about the waves, who are going to find every reason to not get out the boat. I would rather surround myself with people who are going to push me out the boat and say, look, Jesus said, come, you get out the boat. No, well, I wasn't ready. It doesn't matter, just get out the boat. Because even if you start to sink, he will never let you drown. He will grab you by the hand and pull you out. Well, Matthew, what if I what if I make this what if I make this risk? What if I jump out of the boat and I don't walk? What if I jump out the boat and I don't make it? I have all these things holding me back and I have to have to hold this up and I have to hold that up. And if I don't, who's gonna carry these things? He will never let you sink. If your feet start to go in, he'll pull you out. Surround yourself with the right people. I'm sorry, I know we've gone way over time, and I apologize, but I'm saying this, surround yourself with the right people. I say this because I love you. As your pastor, I'm saying this because I love you. Surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with people that are going to push you out the boat. Don't hang out with people or call people or talk to people that when you give them a new idea, they immediately tell you every negative possible outcome. 
No, we were called like Jesus said. Jesus gave the parable of the of, of the um, of the talents. The first two, he gave five talents to the first one. He said, "I went and gambled on it." Literally, he didn't say that word for word, but that's what he did. He went and gambled with the five talents. What if he loses them? But what if he doesn't? He gambled with what the master gave him, and when he gambled, he multiplied. God, Jesus was literally saying, if you will gamble with what I give you, if you will just take a risk with what I give you, you will never fail. The only one who got in trouble was the one who said, I couldn't take a risk because I know you're a hard man and I was afraid and I this. And he had a wrong mentality of God. He had a wrong mentality of his master. And so because he had a wrong mentality, he took the one down he had from him and he gave it to someone else. Some of us, let me tell you, it feels like what God gave us was given to somebody else. Because we had a chance, but we didn't do anything. Don't let that happen to you. Take a chance. What if I fail? What if you don't? What if I sink? He will never let you sink. You only miss out by not trying. And in that parable, every time someone gambled on it, every time they took a risk, they multiplied. Every time. When you use what God has given you, you will never fail. Just focus on his grace. Focus on his grace and take care of the rest. I love you. I'm sorry. I know we went way over time. I love you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice who's receiving this message. Lord, I thank you for everyone here this morning. Father, I ask for a spirit of peace and calm to rest over their hearts and minds this week. I speak to their hearts right now and say, peace be still in the name of Jesus in their hearts. Father, there are some of us, there's some of us who are hearing this who you're declaring peace in the midst of the storm. But Father, there's some of us, you're saying, I want you to walk on the water in the midst of the storm. So Father, wherever wherever we find ourselves, there will always be peace internally. So Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare peace over the hearts and minds of your people. And Father, a confident reassurance that you are always with us. That we will never sink. You'll always pull us out the water if you have to. Always pull us out. So, Father, we thank you for your grace that abounds to us. And, Father, we thank you for the inheritance that we have in you. And, Lord, I ask that you would begin to cause that inheritance to manifest in the lives of your people this week. In the name of Jesus. Father, confirm your word with signs, miracles, and wonders. Confirm it by causing that inheritance to manifest this week. In the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, Lord. So, with your hands stretched out in front of you, may the Lord bless you this week. May the Lord keep you and your families always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord make uh, make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may you enjoy his peace this week. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.